This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Imagine meeting your hero, the person who more than anyone would literally make you starstruck. That happened for Icelandic pianist Víkingur Olafsson last year when, out of the blue, he was invited to Budapest to meet the 96-year-old great Hungarian composer Georgi Kurtag. Their 10-minute meeting turned into several hours of musical discovery, and Víkingur Olafsson just sat at the piano and played piece after piece that just came to him at the top of his head. When he got home, Vikinger decided to send Kurtog a letter in the form of an album. And that musical letter is his newest recording. It's titled From Afar, and it's featured this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. I'm talking with Vikinger Olafsson about his new recording, From Afar. Vikinger, your latest recording evolved out of an experience that you had last year while you were in Budapest. You received an invitation from a composer you highly admire. Tell me about that experience and why it was so meaningful for you. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. I was in Budapest to play a Mozart recital. And then sort of out of the blue, I got this invitation to meet the great Hungarian composer Georgi Kurtak, who at the age of 96 is still writing incredible music for the world to hear. And I've always thought of Kurtak sort of in the same way I think of Bela Bartok or Robert Schumann. I mean, unimaginably great musician, really. And to get the chance to actually meet him and to just have, there were, there was no description of what the meeting was supposed to be about, just that Mr. Kurtak wants to meet me and that the whole thing will be filmed for a documentary that's being made about him. Um, so I came actually from uh, California. I flew straight from LA to Budapest and was totally in another time zone and had just actually played with John Adams at the Ojai Festival and um, came to meet Mr. Kurtak and there were just these two pianos in the room and and there he enters in a, in a wheelchair with his people and we just start to talk a little bit. And then I started to play, you know, those pianos. One of them belonged to his late wife, Marta Kurtak. And then he told me that he had been following my work for some time and Marta supposedly loved my playing as well. And, and then, you know, what was supposed to be 10 minute meeting turned into something like two or three hours. And I just played whatever came to mind. Um, uh, I played Bartok, Schumann, Mozart, Brahms, Haydn, anything really. And we just had this, this at least I thought, this, this kind of a connection that, that was so strong. Uh, and when I got home from that sort of life-changing experience, I did two things. I silenced the notifications on my phone because I felt like the kind of freedom and the timelessness of, of Kurtak's whole being uh, was in such a contrast to the kind of 
busyness of, of my life and endless touring and endless notifications and endless iPhone screen. And the second thing I did was to start to work on this album because I realized I wanted to send him a letter in the form of an album. I couldn't find the words, but uh, all these musical ideas started to form and I chose something like, what is it, eight little pieces by him, I think, which sort of are spread throughout the album. And, and then I juxtaposed them with music that I thought connected very strongly to Kurtak's aesthetic, but also music that was really almost all of it one way or another from my own musical past, upbringing, if you wish, childhood. Um, and that sort of became a beautiful way of telling him a little bit my life story, uh, meanwhile trying to, you know, do justice to his music and, and, and hopefully honor him in the company of, of Bach and, and Schumann and Mozart, where he belongs. Um, and so it became sort of an incredibly personal project. Um, and it's my most intimate recording to date, for sure. And in the studio, I usually have a few grand pianos to choose from, and I usually have more time than most people to record because I love the recording studio as a, as a playground, really, and to really experiment, which you can't do if you have to back an album in like two or three days, like is often the case. So I have something like five days in the studio. And I was done with the recording on day two or three uh, on the grand piano, and then I had an upright piano in there as well, and I started to record the whole album on an upright piano, which was inspired Kurtak, he loves the upright piano and the sound of the upright piano, but it was also sort of going back to my musical roots, which are really the upright piano as much as the grand piano. We had a grand piano in my living room because my mother is a piano teacher, my father a composer and an architect, uh, but that meant that the piano was, the grand piano was being used all the time by other people than me. And I got terribly upset with that, of course, started to hate my mother's <laughs> piano students. Um, and then they found this fantastic solution to put an upright piano into my bedroom. So this became my bedroom piano and my bedroom music making. And I love that sound. And it's so intimate and domestic, really. Um, and when I was done recording the whole album, extremely close mic'd, really, in the upright version, I mean more extreme than I've ever done. You can really hear me breathing and you can hear the keys going up and down, being depressed and depressed, really. Uh, you can hear the hiss, you can hear the pedals, you can hear everything. It's like the audio listener is sitting on the piano bench, really, with me. When I was done with that, I couldn't really choose between my two children, the grand piano recording and then the upper piano recording of the whole album. And then I decided you should never choose between your children. And I <laughs> just decided to release both versions simultaneously, which I think has, I think it has never been done before. I'm obviously very curious to see what the reaction will be. And that's a dangerous game to play because obviously people will prefer one to the other uh, and, and then they will think lesser of the other, of course. I, I care for both of them and certain pieces I prefer on the upright and others certainly on the grand piano. want to talk a little bit about the intimacy of the upright piano because when you say it's like the person it's like me the listener is sitting right there on the piano bench next to you that's literally what I did as a child my mother would play piano and I would sit beside her talk a little bit more about why that's important to you that that the listener's allowed to have that experience 
I always think of uh, musical recording as the most intimate way of, of, of playing music. And I want it to feel like I am telling my listener a secret. And you have to make the microphone your confidant, really. I think the first person to have done that in history was Glenn Gould. He was the first one to openly sort of acknowledge the microphone as something wonderful rather than something to be afraid of, like most musicians even today still still kind of have at the back of their minds. And I want, you know, that when you put on the way we enjoy recordings, uh, usually, and music, recorded music is usually on headphones. Most of us, that's about 95%, I believe, of music listening, and with 5% probably on beautiful stereo systems. But that means you have those sounds and they're so close to your ears and, 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 and you want them to tell you a very immediate narrative. And, 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 and in a way, the nature of the repertoire that I chose, the works that I chose for this release, Honor and Kurtak, the nature was so intimate and the dynamics on the album and the textures and the, the sort of quality of the sound is so, it's, it's really exploring the palette of pianissimo to pianissimo to piano. So from extremely soft to very soft to soft and to really look into how much detail, how many colors, how much texture, how much everything can you find in that uh, dynamic range on the piano. Of course, there's also forte on this album. It, it goes into strong playing as well, but much of it is very hushed. Um, but hushed, you know, the, the softer you play, the more you reveal your musical convictions, I believe. Because the softer you play, the more intensely you have to play. Uh, it's just like a great actor, I believe, on stage. The softer you speak, if you're a great actor, the more intensity you need to bring to your speech and your message for people in the hall to catch to to, to get it uh, capture it and so that 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 is the beauty and and i've always just been fascinated by by that in the piano. I also like to play loud, obviously, but I think that has sometimes been overemphasized both in school, but also just in society and in concerts, um, because it's more difficult in a way to control the piano and the softer register with, with meaning than to, to bang it and play it loud all the time. But the louder you go on the piano, um, I think the more general it tends to become, you know, of course you can still play gloriously and with, with nuance and forte and fortissimo, but I think that, you know, the scope for texture and sort of uh, space in sound, you know, sort of distance in sound and distance of texture is really more when you go into that palette. It's like you're watching a painting, you know, like a great 17th, 18th century landscape painting. And you see the foreground, you see the background, and you see probably like five or six different le levels of, of distance in one painting. And they all have to speak to you you know, simultaneously to create the whole, but you can also choose to zone in on any one of those. That's kind of how I think of as ideal in, in recording piano sound as well, like a, like a very beautifully detailed landscape painting that has different layers and different dimensions and different distances in, in itself. You mentioned that there are pieces that you played on the upright that you preferred on the upright and vice versa on the grand. Can you cite one or two examples? Yeah, sure. Um, there's one piece that I think is amazing, which is by Kurtak, and it's called Sleepily. So like falling asleep, basically. And he 
is really portraying that with these incredible, almost subconscious tone clusters that are supposed to be very soft. And these glissandos that are supposed to almost symbolize like musical yawning, like, you know, like you're yawning. And, um, and I think he does it so beautifully. And I think on the upright piano, that is just a dream because the palette is so soft and the yawning just becomes, you really feel like you're going into a sort of an altered state of consciousness, like what happens when you actually fall asleep. So that one, I would definitely prefer that in the upright. It just has something else. And the kind of close up sound, it's just, it's just, for me, it's magical. For the grand piano, I would actually prefer my favorite Brahms intermezzo, Opus 116, number four. jewel of the Brahms late works in my opinion and there are many jewels there but that is my that's my queen that's my favorite um, that piece has such sonority and such overtones and such such it, it's it's Brahms's uh, most Chopinistic piece it's like an homage to Chopin and Brahms was going to call it nocturne notturno like a piece of the night and I think that piece has that kind of scope where I love the overtones and the richness of the bass and the bigger vibrations of the, of the grand Steinway. So those are two options, uh, for instance, where I feel strongly about uh, one or the other. Gergi Kurtak created a number of piano arrangements for four hands that he and his wife would perform together. And you are carrying on that tradition on this recording. Can you talk about some of the pieces on which you and your wife Hala are featured? Yeah, there's actually, I guess, four pieces all in all, or actually two pieces, but in two versions. So I guess four tracks. And one is Trio Sonata. And it's just an amazing piece of music that he recently dedicated to me, Kurtak. You know, he just published it, and that's one of my favorite arrangements, transcriptions of all time. So, I mean, I'm beyond, beyond grateful for that dedication. And that's actually a three-hand piece. It's not a four-hand piece, but a three-hand piece. So you have to, I ask my wife to lend me a hand, <laughs> just single hand. And she plays the, the top, I mean, exquisitely beautifully, I believe. Um, she's a fantastic pianist herself. And then there's this other piece, which is called uh, Twittering.
so it's all about like birds twittering or chirping basically and in that piece I am also playing the bass and I create the kind of landscape and the forest setting and then my wife gets to be the bird <laughs> but I think it's such a beautiful tradition and Kurtak certainly was very happy when I told him about me playing those pieces with my wife he said to me in a recent phone call that there's simply nothing like playing with your wife and I could sense from his words how much he misses his late wife, Marta. Uh, and he's right, there's nothing quite like it. It can be thrilling to play with, you know, famous, fantastic pianists, but, but that's in the nature of this album. It's, it's domestic music making for, for domestic listening. And that's actually how you first discovered this composer through your father. Talk a little bit about your father's passion for composing, which is not his full-time job, and how he kind of, you know, grew to admire the works of Kurtak. Yeah, I'm lucky with my father. I mean, he's an architect. That's what he does for his for a living and a beautiful architect. But then he also does musical structures, not just concrete structures. But those jobs go so beautifully together, you know. It's it's a structure in different sense. And, you know, the Greek uh, composer Senakis, he was also an architect. And it's, it's, it's kind of a wonderful thing. And my father has always sort of been, you know, he, he has the privilege in his work of, of designing houses to be able to listen to so much music during the day. So he's certainly listened to more music than I have. He's always listening to the newest, the latest music. He knows what's happening better than anyone I know. Uh, and so in the 90s, when Kurtak was writing some of those pieces, he was absolutely, he always got the music CDs immediately and, and would listen to it. And he would make me listen to it. And then he would actually do a radio program about Kurtak for Iceland Radio. My father is kind of a Renaissance man. He does a lot of things. And I think all of them well, uh, but 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 he did a beautiful series of radio programs about Kurtak and brought that music to Icelandic ears for the very first time in the 90s. Uh, so in a way, I go way back with, with Kurtak. It's just, you know, I was already listening to him a little bit when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. Had your father met the composer? He's actually never met him, and I'm sure he would freak out and be absolutely shy. Just like I, I mean, I'm not shy about meeting almost anyone. I meet a lot of very fantastic people in my life, uh, amazing musicians and, you know, people of absolute, uh, absolute gifts. Uh, but meeting Kurtak still felt different to me. And I, I, I had this feeling of awe, sense of awe. I, I was starstruck when I met the 96 year old guy. Uh, but in the end, you know, he makes you feel quite, quite, quite confident. And, uh, and in the end, it was just such a, such a generous meeting. You've also included Hungarian and Icelandic folk songs on this recording. Talk about how these folk songs from these two countries are related. It's interesting. It's how all people are related, wherever they come from. Folk songs are the accumulated experience of a nation or of people, maybe before they're even called a nation. It goes back centuries. It's songs that, you know, grandmothers taught their grandchilds, who, who then taught their grandchilds. And so it goes. It's all... So it's so beautiful, this, this uh, oral, oral preservation of music. And I think we, in Iceland, we have very short history when it comes to classical music, maybe 100 years or plus 20, you know, something like 120 years. But that's very short. Uh, but we have like 
any other culture a very long tradition of, of folk songs and luckily those folk songs uh, were recorded in the 1940s and 1950s by these musicologists who traveled around the islands and recorded old farmers singing what they had been taught by their grandmothers and grandfathers and we have some incredible songs in there uh, and the, the Hungarian folk songs of course are better known because Bartok has sort of Bela Bartok has immortalized them in some fantastic arrangements. But I think there is a connection, you know, vague as it may be, between the Icelandic and the Hungarian languages. They are both very fast, they're very dry, and they very much have accents on the first syllable of every word. So sometimes when I come to Hungary, I at the beginning at Hungary at Franz Liszt Airport in Budapest, uh, which is my favorite airport name in the world, by the way, Franz Liszt Airport. When I when I when I, when I land there, uh, I start to think, oh my God, there are Icelandic people here, and then I realize, no, they're not speaking Icelandic. It just sounds like Icelandic. So I think you know that's why I've had such affinity with Hungarian music ever since I was a child. I always chose that rather than Prokofiev or or Stravinsky when I was growing up. And I even played for a student of Bartok's, you know, Georgi Shantor, who was in his 90s when I was 18, back in 2002. I played for him in New York, and that was a guy who worked with Bartok and premiered some of the pieces, including the third piano concerto. So I've always had that affinity, and I played Likety for my Juilliard audition. I always had that affinity with, with, with Hungarian uh, music and its culture and its people. So, but Kurtak, you know, uh, that, that that's a, sort of a new friendship that I have. Um, but of course, I've loved the music for such a long time. With the Bella Bartok folk songs, um, they are so just pretty. They're so beautiful. I mean, those songs, they couldn't have been composed by anyone. They have that kind of freedom and that kind of spontaneous improvisatory quality. It's very difficult to pinpoint. But I think it would have been impossible to sit down and write them as written down music, like you compose music. And that's the same with this Icelandic folk song, which is called Where Life and Death May Dwell. It's like almost all the Icelandic folk songs, extremely sad. Uh, it was very difficult to live in this island and people had these sad songs <laughs> accompanying them. And it's really about the old farmer who is sowing seeds into, into the ground and contemplating his own mortality and that when those seeds will have grown to become plants, he himself will probably be under that very ground, that soil. Uh, it's a beautiful contemplation about life and death um, yeah, so I guess that is it. Uh, you know, there's uh, the, the the connection is there and it isn't there. But it is. I think you could almost connect almost all the folk songs in one way or another of different nations. And that's the beautiful thing about folk songs and about humanity, that when you go sort of deep enough, you know, away from the issues of today and the politics of the last hundred to two hundred years, there is this connection. There is a reason why we belong to the same race, human race. The title of this recording is Afar, and throughout there are intimate conversations and messages, as you put it, from Afar. Can you talk a little bit maybe about some of the personal secrets 
that lie within this recording? Sure, of course. Um, you know, on this recording is my very first attempt at arranging or transcribing something that's not for solo piano. It's Ave Maria by Sigvald de Caldalons. It's one of my favorite songs. It's an unbelievably beautiful prayer. Um, and I think it has a very universal message, but I've never really found a way of releasing it. So this is, that's a little secret. That is my very first subscription and it was dedicated to my now wife, but then girlfriend back in 2007 when she was only 20 and I was 23. That's one little secret for you. Another secret, this Brahms Intermezzo, I already mentioned, the Queen of the Intermezzi, uh, the Opus 116 number for an E major, my favorite. Uh, that is actually the first time I have gone back to the studio and re-recorded something that I had already released. That's actually music that I recorded on my first album long before I became known to the international music community, uh, long before I had any kind of a career. It was the first thing I did after I graduated from Juilliard. I started a record company in Iceland and I recorded Brahms Intimacy and Beethoven Eroica Variation and Brahms Waltzes. And it's all there. You can listen to it actually on Spotify or on Apple Music or whatever streaming service you use. Uh, but but, but uh, this was the first time I've actually gone back and re-examined my own work from the past, my own recorded work, and decided that I have such a fundamentally different understanding of that piece. And my love for it has grown exponentially that I really wanted to re-record it in a completely different way uh, than the earlier recording. Uh, to capture the kind of improvisatory and the nocturnal quality that I believe is to be found in the music. I mean, there are many things. There, I've dedicated the new transcription of the C major solo violin sonata to Marta Kurtak to her to her memory. And Gerd Kurtak told me how much she cared for my Bach album. I, I decided that was the right thing to do. And connecting to the Icelandic Ave Maria prayer is another prayer and one of my all-time favorite musical prayers, Laudate Dominum by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Which of course connects to my Mozart release from last year, but also it's just my homage to Kurtak, dedicated to him, this transcription, uh, and sort of an experiment in how much you can fit under your ten fingers. And I managed to fit a chamber orchestra, a soprano soloist, and a choir under the ten fingers for this transcription, and I'm, I'm thrilled about that, you know. 
because a few other things. I mean, the 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 Schumann Traumerei is definitely the most famous work on this album. Stay away from those Furelisa, Claire de Lune works. You know, I, I don't, I don't usually record them. But Traumerei, I wanted to put that right there next to Sleepily by Kurtak, and because I really understood Traumerei differently now that I played it now, having not touched it since I was a child, I thought actually Traumerei is really the, you know, daydreaming of a child rather than falling asleep or sleeping. You know, of a grown-up. And I think very often Traumerei is played from a grown-up perspective but i think it should have that lightness of the sleep of the child and the kind of innocence and the and the lack of worries you know uh, sort of a carefree quality to it You just touched on something about from the child's perspective, and I know that you have talked about Kurtog and how his approach to the world of musical ideas is the same as that of a child to play and to use the imagination. Can you talk a little bit about how you were maybe able to fully use your imagination as you were playing these pieces and putting this recording together? Yeah. I think that with Kurtak, also meeting him in person, um, there is that feeling of discovery, joy of discovery. When I was playing for him Mozart pieces that he knows, like like the inside of his palm, he he still had that feeling that he was hearing it for the first time and he was experiencing it in such a profound way. So I was influenced by that. And when I came home to Iceland and I have two sons who are one and three and I see my sons playing the piano and sort of discovering the piano for the first time, really. It's such a beautiful thing to witness and and just to see, through try to see the world through that perspective of, of discovery. You know, when you have your child with you in the garden and then the child is maybe two years old and it sees a, a daffodil or something like a, like a flower for the, for the first time and picks it up and it looks at it in a way that is just absolutely breathtakingly beautiful to witness. It sees it differently than you and I see it. I think Kurtak had that, you know, and has that with music. He had that in a meeting with him. And, and that's sort of how I wanted to, 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 to do this album, um, to bringing back music from my childhood, something that I'd lived with for a long time, much of it, and, and sort of taking it and re-examining it absolutely from, from a new perspective. From afar refers to that this is from afar, this is my message to, this is my letter to Kurtak from afar, aus der Ferne in German, but it's also, you know, where I feel I come from. I come from afar, I come from Iceland, I come from this tiny 
little society on this rather big island up in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean with all those volcanoes and these glaciers and this instability and earthquakes and just unbelievable natural beauty. But it's so far away from 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 London or New York uh, in terms of everything really, and it was even farther away when I was growing up. So yeah, I mean those are all threats that, that that come into the album, but the spirit of discovery was also there in terms of selecting the grand piano and the upright piano and really playing with the microphones and like I think we have to do with art and music recording. It has to we have to invent uh, the wheel every time. Vikinger Olafsson sharing some of his secrets about his new recording, From Afar. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Thank you.